0: Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, today we are coming to you from Cause Camp. So we're recording this in September in Huron, Ohio, from Cause Camp. And we are going to be having a conversation with Genevieve Peturo about building a nonprofit from startup to sustainability. If you are a startup, if you feel stuck at that startup phase, or if you have the sense that sustainability is always 3 years away, this is the episode for you, and I am so glad that you have downloaded it and are listening to it. So Genevieve also goes by Jan, and so you're often going to hear me refer to her as Jan. So Jen actually started on this journey in TV. So she was a broadcaster and went from TV to philanthropy. So her trajectory has a pretty powerful story about how she ended up in philanthropy, and we're going to ask her about that. But before we do, let me share more with you. So she is the founder of the Pajama Program. It was launched in 2001. And it is a national organization that really exemplifies and illustrates Jen's Dedication to embracing human connection and leading with a meaningful impact. Jen is also, by the way, an award winning author. She has two books out. Um, Her first book, Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas How to Transform Your Life, Embrace the Human Connection, and Lead with Meaning, has garnered accolades and wide recognition. And this week, while we are recording this, this is probably not going to release until early 2024. But this week, while we're recording this, she also has her most recent book that has come out, Purpose, Passion, and Moxie, How to Lead the Way and Leave a Legacy. It is a hands-on guide for those who are seeking to establish and grow a successful nonprofit. And by the way, my friends, it is currently number 33 on the Amazon nonprofit book section. So if you release a book in its very first few days, it's number 33 You know it's a good book. So, my friends, I am so excited to bring Jen to you for this conversation. Jen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for the invitation, Dolph. I'm so excited to be here with you and everyone listening.
0: Well, again, I I felt thrilled when I saw you were going to be at this conference and we had the opportunity to actually sit down face-to-face And have this conversation. So thank you. And I I do know you have a very powerful story about an interaction with a six year old that changed really the trajectory of your life and really the trajectory of thousands of lives.
1: You know, I never in a million years thought I would have a story. I I was on the road to continue in television I always wanted to be the Mary Tyler Moore character Mary Richards and work in the newsroom and I did in radio and then I went into television and was VP marketing for for over 12 years I had this broadcasting career and to me I thought it was everything you know I never thought about purpose I wasn't taught that nobody talked about find your calling I thought you know years later I I thought oh yeah that's for Oprah that's for Deepak Chopra People like that have a purpose. The rest of us lucky enough to have a job that we like. But, you know, one day, just in this workaholic life I had, I heard a voice in me and it asked if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? And that was the first question that really opened my heart and opened my eyes to the life I had and how... It was missing something, which I never thought. You know, it was it was busy. So what's where's time to find anything else to fill it? But when that question came to me, I realized there was something missing. You know, I skipped over the whole Italian father's, mother's idea of having a family and I wanted to be that executive. But that led me to a little girl. And you know, you, you tell me when you want me to tell the story, Dolphin. Okay, jump right in. Jump right in. <laughs> So when I heard that question, if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? I did take a few minutes and realized it was children that was missing in my life, that were missing in my life. And I seen a news report about a child, among many other times I've seen these, and we've all have, being abused in a home that was supposed to be safe. And the police went in and took the child with social workers to a shelter. And I called the police and I said, where do you bring these children? I thought... Instinctively, maybe I could soothe them. Maybe there was something I could do in these shelters. And I called some of the shelters and they welcomed me in to read stories at night. And over the weeks I was doing this, reading to them, I, I could tell, you know, we all could see. Um, if you were in the room with me, Dolph, you would see their, their fear and their sadness, their loneliness, people who they trusted hurt them. And then the physical part of their clothes being tight or soiled. And it was just sad. It broke my heart. And so week after week, I read to them. And then I watched where they were taking them to go to sleep. And they were huddled together in the same clothes they'd been wearing for who knows how long. And it broke my heart, too, to see that. And my mom put us to bed, as most moms and dads and grandparents do, with love and you know giggles and uh, milk and cookies and stories and pajamas. And these children, it stuck out in my mind, looking at them, that they were wearing the same clothes. So I asked if I could bring pajamas, and the staff said, sure, that would be great. So the next time I brought pajamas, and when I was handing them out, after I read to them, a little girl was afraid of me. I didn't know why. She was just backing away and she was shaking her head. No, she wouldn't take the pajamas. And in the end, she watched me give them to all the other children, still shaking her head when I approached her with the pink pajamas I had for her. And when it was just her left, she was standing there with a staff person. And I walked over and I knelt down and I said, honey, these pajamas are for you. You can keep them forever. They're so soft. You want to feel them and I know they'll fit you and only then did she lean in and almost in a whisper ask me what are pajamas and that was the beginning of my obsession with first her and then how many of these children don't know what pajamas are don't have them and don't have that bedtime that comforts us from when we're born till we don't want our moms and dads in our bed. That's a lot of time of bonding and love and comfort, security. And I thought, my goodness, how lonely they must feel with that hole at bedtime without that. And so I just started, you know, I just became obsessed to give them what I was hoping they would feel love in the pajamas, in the material of the pajamas when they got them.
0: Mm, What a powerful, powerful story. And of course, that's when you first started to really... Envision pajama program. I'm curious though, as you started to launch the organization, maybe not in the first year, but in the second, third, or fourth year, how did that vision for what the program was going to be change? And what did it change in response to?
1: Well, at first I didn't even know it was going to be a nonprofit, you know, and, and I always say, and it's always in my books, I had no idea what a nonprofit was, other than I knew of them, and you know, sometimes could give some money or something. but I didn't know what it was. All I knew was I wanted to keep bringing pajamas to these shelters. And that's all I could manage. So the pajamas and the books to the shelters was what I was doing, and I could do that well. I didn't want to bring more things. I didn't want to do more things. And then when we grew, and we did become a 501c3 because I got a letter asking from somebody, an executive in a company saying, would you send us your 501c3? We can give you a grant. I didn't even know what that was. That's a whole other story.
0: <laughs> so I got to raise my hand and yeah. ask the question. That Wait a minute. So you started the organization... And then you realized, oh, wait, we need to be a 501c3. Yeah,
1: I uh, thought I was just going to do this on the side. And so how, how far in was that? Like months, yes, years? Yes, L- probably less than a year, but close to a year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was doing this, and people heard, not just family and friends, but people heard, because the, the staffers at the shelters were also telling their friends who were staff at other shelters. And I was they were sharing my phone, and I said, yes, of course do that. But I had no idea that people on both sides who needed, would would be calling as much as they did for their children and that people wanted to support. I got those calls too. And so, you know, it was just like, I, I was just inundated and I, I didn't want to say no to anybody on either side.
0: So now I've got another question then. So sounds like the first almost year you were not yet a 501c3. Did Correct. you have a board? Did you have volunteers yet?
1: Um, just some friends who wanted to help you know, some friends. And then um, when I got the letter from a company asking for it, I said, okay, let me find out what this is. And I realized because there was an article written about this, me volunteer, just volunteering to do this. People sent thousands from across the country from this national magazine, thousands of boxes and packages of pajamas, books and cash and checks. And that's where the letter was with somebody's company. And so I looked and I was newly married and I said to my husband, I don't know what this 501 with a parentheses thing is, but this is a responsibility now. This isn't just me overspending, getting into debt with money for pajamas and books. These are people who trust me. So I better get cracking.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. So you're now you're in, you're like, I need, to, I need to establish 501c3, which of course means incorporating. So you incorporate it. And then you had to put together a board. How did you put together that first board?
1: Oh, that's so funny. So funny that you asked because my book that you mentioned that came out this week is a, what I did wrong, what I did right so I can support others. And what I tell people is you think your best friend should be on your board? Wrong. Yeah. I put my best friends, put my husband on my board. Wrong. They're cheerleaders. They're great. But you need people who are... Who can strategize who have talents you don't have because friends want to support you they don't know how much work it is and i learned the hard way but that i always tell people and the getting a mentor in the nonprofit world is key because it was my mentor who said no 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 get your husband off the board he loves you he's a husband my girlfriend who was also on my on my board she moved to another state to florida now i don't want to say i chased her away but clearly she wasn't you know instrumental in the growth she was just a good friend
0: jen you are 100% right you don't get a board of friends and you certainly don't get your spouse on the board i'll share with you a couple of years ago we were doing a board recruitment project for a client and when we were considering the project, we actually had to say to her, because she was the paid executive director, founder executive director, but she was the paid executive director and her husband was on the board. And we had to say, we will only do this project if your husband steps off the board. We are not going to help create a dysfunctional board for you. Your husband has to leave the board. And we had some some tough conversations, but we we kind of held our line. We're like, no, uh-uh, we're not going to create a dysfunctional board. And And it was powerful, but it was actually really good for her board. I do have some questions, though, about your mentor. So you said, get a mentor. How did, I? And by the way, I would agree with you 100%, but I also bet that we have some friends who are listening right now who are saying, that's a great idea, but how do I find that mentor?
1: Right, right. Um, well, I'm in New York, and in every city and every state, there are nonprofits. I called a bunch of them. I knew no one at any of these nonprofits but I looked up the nonprofits that I knew of and I looked for a, an organization that was a little bit similar same size well no they they were much more advanced but small also but successful and I literally cold called several and I guess my passion came through and one of the executive directors said sure I'll meet for lunch and she was my mentor for years and she was a no-nonsense woman no nonsense at all and about the board and about everything this is what you have to do and i i did it you know and and it was nerve-wracking like you said because they're my friends and i wanted to do everything myself and no you don't do everything yourself the board has to be responsible financially and you have to get an attorney and you have to get a CPA and you have to get a marketing person you have to get somebody from the community you're serving. And, of course, I kept saying, that's right, that's right, that's right. But she had to she had to really impress upon me on how to do that right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm also curious because I know a lot of our listeners are asking themselves, because a lot of our listeners have startup boards. They might be 10 years old, but they still have startup boards, the, f- the Friends and Family Plan. So I know a lot of our listeners are asking themselves, okay, but – how do, I, how do I actually get that next board, the board that I need? So how
1: did you do it? Well, it was a mix of researching some organizations that do help you find a board. So there are banks of individuals who want to be on a board. Some of them already have experience being on a board. Some don't, but want to learn. But these are professional people who understand the responsibility of boards, and you can look at their resumes and you can look at their interests and you can be matched, but you do it or you know, the organization that you're, you're asking for help can help match you and you interview these people. So, But you have to go in knowing you need a marketing expert, whatever you're not, you need on the board. Attorneys and CPAs, I suggest get referrals from people that you know. And obviously they need to know nonprofit law and nonprofit accounting. But even your attorney that you know in another way or a bookkeeper or, or CPA, they have a network of colleagues. So some people are very uh, are personal for for you to choose. So I would say use the six degrees of separation rule for those. But the three top three people you need, attorney, CPA, mentor.
0: Right. Uh, absolutely. I'll also share with you, and I know your, I think your current book has the word moxie in it, and clearly mm-hmm. you had a lot of moxie because you just started calling nonprofit executive directors, hey, can we <laughs> yes. have lunch? So you have a lot of moxie? For, for friends who are listening who have some moxie, another way to find that attorney for your board is just to call the big firms in your city and ask for the pro bono partner. Every big firm has a pro bono partner and say, hey, we're looking for a board member. Can we tell you what we're looking for? You're going to be told no 14 times. And the 15th time, someone's going to say, I, I, we might have a partner who'd be a good board member for you.
1: Yes, and in and often, and there was in New York. I found out later, but I did. We were able to work with them. There are organizations that do provide l- lawyers, mm-hmm. that right. and you just have to see if you're eligible and when, and they can take you on, and it it is pro bono. The whole yeah. the whole organization, the whole relationship.
0: And I, I think in New York, you're referring to Pro Bono Partnership, which is a great, great organization. Lawyers
1: Alliance is the one I knew oh, and worked with.
0: Okay. Okay. Yes. Lawyers Alliance. Cause I was going to say Pro Bono Partnership out of New York maintains a national list of other pro bono partnerships around the country. Good. So, so That's just again, one then. for friends who are listening, if, if you're not in New York or you're not in Atlanta or somewhere like that, you could still go to Pro Bono Partnership online in, in New York and look for others. And Lawyers Alliance might have something like that as well. Um but so I'm also really curious to understand um, you, human connection's important to you. it's it's in the title of your book. It's something that you talk a lot about. how is how has human connection been important in fostering the sustainability of pajama program? You
1: know, Dolph, I was afraid to ask for help for many reasons, and I know over these last twenty two years, plus, I've met so many people who also, are afraid to ask for help. I don't know why, because we love to offer and help, right? But we don't want to appear dumb or inexperienced or asking a stupid question. So we often don't ask for help. But when you start to share the story, why you're passionate, what's happening, what you need, you, like I, will be shocked at the support Now, I'm not saying everybody you tell is going to say, oh my goodness, I'll write you a million dollar check. But you will find the right people that match your level of passion, that are taken in with what you're doing and the group you're serving, and it might be just the right time for them. But tell the story, tell why, tell what happened to you that moved you. So many founders are moved because of a moment. And their their heart, I say, is nudging them to take action. And that is contagious. And it's just one person telling another person, getting involved. And the right people will connect on your purpose with you. And it's just amazing. It's a miracle.
0: Do you have a specific story maybe you could share about you going out and telling the message and sharing the message and then suddenly you, you've got a relationship that's pivotal, that's really helping take Pajama Program from where it was to another level.
1: Yes, I have, I have several. Um, one I'll say that came in print, that story that I mentioned that came out and resulted in thousands of boxes was literally, I think, four, maybe five sentences in a national magazine that simply said Children are going to sleep in their clothes. This woman is trying to get pajamas for them so they're not afraid and lonely. That was enough to touch people's hearts and thousands of people from across the country, strangers sent them to my personal address, which 20 some years ago you could find easily. That was the first eye opener for me that people people care, strangers care if you share. And then during, right after the recession, as many nonprofits had problems, we were afraid that we'd have to close our doors, and I just couldn't let that happen. I I cried every night, I mean, as you can imagine, so many of nonprofits fell and had to close their doors, and I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And one of our board members, when I finally at the board meeting said, I have no idea what to do. I have tried, I've thought about it, I finally opened up to ask for help. And one of our board members said, "Let's go bowling. Now, I thought in the moment, first of all, that's very odd. And second of all, do people bowl in New York City? <laughs> <laughs> and third of all, how much does she think we're gonna raise bowling? We can't charge people a thousand dollars. so we didn't charge people a thousand dollars. We charged like twenty dollars. I went along because I had no better idea, and she felt strongly, I don't know why, but maybe she knew instinctively because she didn't verbalize it. That night, people came, and the energy and the love in the room because people knew why we were there, If they even if they'd never met us, people brought friends. That contagious energy, that love, and those people told people who told people, And we survived, you know, we didn't make a million dollars, but I tell her all the time, that idea to go bowling lifted us because I'm sure everyone remembers who was around then. It was a dark time and even darker for nonprofits. And that human connection of sharing and that heart connection lifted us all.
0: I hear you say that that human connection was a multiplier. Like, because are like people told other people, so not only did it lift you, but it was this multiplier that really helped you all get through that tough time.
1: Absolutely. It's that energy, you know, it's it's human connection energy. Right. And, and then I also know
0: over time you expanded. And so like you and I talked earlier about expanding to Atlanta and other cities to really make Pajama Program a national organization.
1: Yes, we have more than 40 chapters. Yeah, we have um, two and growing reading centers in addition to the local chapters So everything Collected and raised stays in that organization's city, our chapter city. And we have, we take care of kids. We have lists for every city where their shelters are and where they're in need. And I was the executive director as well as the founder for 20 years. And then I wanted to speak about finding purpose because it changed my life. And I met so many people who were afraid to start a chapter two, afraid to take the leap. And I wanted to write my books, which I could never do when I was executive director, because who has time? So I wanted to pass the baton to someone I trusted, because I never thought in a million years, 20 years, we'd be thriving. And so one of the presidents of our boards during one of the terms was Jamie, and she was an attorney, and she said, if you ever are serious about you know, passing the baton, please think of me. And she is a strategic thinker. She's good with the numbers and seeing the big picture when I lead with my heart. She has a heart, of course, but she's better at the growing and at the fundraising, at at the numbers and stats. And she was the perfect person now to grow us. So in addition to the pyjamas and the books, they're we're teaching children who can learn how important bedtime is and how much better they'll feel and how good it feels to be in your pajamas and have a story before bed and how you feel in the morning and so that growth continues to some more programs that are you know that are going to be announced and so she was much better at it and i'm better i feel at trying to inspire people to take the chance and to understand what it means to follow your purpose, lead with your purpose, and, and to create a legacy and to be part of the giving to the greater good.
0: Mm. So I often see a founder director leave an organization and the next chief executive is what I refer to as the sacrificial goat. They're there for a year, 18 months. Everyone, the board, staff, donors, the community is like, you're not the founder. You're nothing like that person. And that's why I refer to that person as a sacrificial goat because 18 months later they're gone and then the organization recruits another chief executive who's there for a while. That did not happen with Pajama Program. You left. I think you actually brought Jamie in initially as like an associate executive director. And then a year or two later, I think you left. But what what did you do to set the table so that Jamie would be successful as the next chief
1: executive of Pajama Program? Well, people ask me that. And... I say 100% my purpose is to keep Pajama program and the work we're doing thriving. If she has a different way, I'm supportive. She has different traits and, and assets. And I recognize that right away. And I, I knew that we needed that. It's a different landscape now. Certainly, you know, four years ago. And of course, since COVID, I mean, things are different. She can manage all that beautifully. I'm there. We talk. I'll do whatever I can to support whatever idea she has, because it's all about these children. It's all about giving them what they need to feel loved, to feel like they can be successful, to know how important bedtime and sleep is, to know about reading, starting with bedtime stories and then learning how to read in an environment that is loving and and also in an environment where we teach the caregivers or, or parents who are being reunited with children, whoever takes care of these kids, a little bit of what we've been doing. So I trust her. Now, it's hard to, pass the baton you know before me it's the kids before me it's the work and so I you know I say all the time and we stay in touch and I'm part of you know she she talks to me about what's happening and if I wasn't in agreement I would have to trust I made the decision I love what I'm doing being you know trying to inspire people and be their cheerleader I love to speak and I love to write about purpose so that's my chapter two.
0: And so, so that's your relationship with the executive director who, who came after you. How did you help your board, your constituents, your staff, not just mentally understand, but in their heart and emotion and their gut understand, okay, the next executive director is not going to be like me. They might even make some decisions that are not decisions that you think I would make, and that's okay. Let them lead. How did you help them reach that point as you were leading?
1: Well, I think it helped that she wasn't a stranger. You know, she was on the board. She was the president of the board. So she knew many of the board members and they knew I trusted her. They asked me. You know, some people were concerned about me leaving and they asked me if I trusted her. And I said I did. And I've been right. Just because some of the things she does I wouldn't do, I, I, I'm sure she saw things that I was doing that said, oh, she has to think more about the strategy or the, you know, and and I respect that and she respects that. But, you know, I made a choice for me after I made a choice for the kids.
0: Got it. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. That's really helpful to know. Jen, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I know you have to be on stage for photos. You're living a pretty public life right now. So you have to be on stage for photos pretty soon. So let me go over to the off the map question. And this one is off the map, but really kind of a couple pages away. I think it's something that will help our friends who are listening, though. So you came to the philanthropy sector from TV. Once in the philanthropy sector, once you were running an organization, you were in the media a lot. And now that you are doing the work that you're doing, really inspiring people, helping people connect with their passion and being a cheerleader for people, you're still in the media and in the public a lot. Like I just said, you need to be on stage in about 30 minutes for photos. So my question is, what advice, what media tips or techniques do you have for our listeners when they need to go to their local TV station's morning show?
1: Good question. Well, you know, the first thing I had, I will share is something I had to learn. I often, and I did it speaking here, get very emotional. There are certain parts of my story that feel like it was yesterday. And it's, I used to try not to cry and I used to hold back the tears, but I've learned that that's a connector. And so if I feel that the tears are coming, I'd let them and i was always concerned that they they wouldn't stop and then it would be ridiculous <laughs> and i do worry about that sometimes but i think it's that human connection and and maybe since covid we're all a little more vulnerable which i think is a good thing but i think it helps make the point that we need each other and we need to support each other and we need to share our stories. So I think when you share your story, if it's emotional, talk about why it's emotional. Tell the story of your little girl, tell the story of the animals, tell the story of the seniors, tell the story of whatever issue made, you know, pierced your heart. And I think that will connect rather than listing stats and numbers without the the picture of, of the heartfelt reason you, you made this decision to you know, contribute.
0: That's incredibly helpful. Jen, thank you. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Before I let you step out to get to the stage where you're going to be taking photos, I want to make sure that our friends know how to find you. And so, friends, you can go to GenevievePeturo.com. Just so you know, we're going to be linking to that at our website and in our show notes, SuccessfulNonprofits.com. So, but it's GenevievePetoro.com. There are really three things that I want you to do while you're there. The first, on the far right, there is a tab, far top right, there's a tab that says, an exercise to help you find your purpose. Click on that tab. You need to set aside, I think it's 90 minutes. So calendar out, nah, be wild, calendar out two hours. Okay, and then click on that tab and do the exercise to find your purpose. It is powerful and I suggest that you do it. Second reason to go is, as I've already mentioned, Jen's got a new book out and it is a bestseller already in its very first week. And let me just remind you the name of that book. It is Purpose, Passion, and Moxie. And you certainly heard her talk about Moxie today and how it's helped her and her organization. But Purpose, Passion, and Moxie how to lead the way and leave a legacy. So you can also find out more about that book at her website. You can also go to amazon.com, of course, or go down to your local bricks and mortar bookstore, and if they don't have it, ask them to order it. Better yet, ask them to order five or six copies. Let them know you're only going to buy one, but they should be selling some more copies of it as well. And then finally, Jen has very, very generously offered a free 60-minute consultation for any of you who would like to brainstorm making your purpose, your way of life, and your legacy. So if you're interested in that, go to GenevievePituro.com and you can contact Jen there. Also, even though Jen has stepped away from pajama program, she is still one of its biggest advocates, if not its biggest advocate. So she also wants you to go, to go to pajamaprogram.org. She mentioned there are over 40 chapters around the country. So I feel pretty confident if you go to pajamaprogram.org, you can find a chapter near you. You can figure out how to get involved. You can figure out how to support. One of the other things you also heard her say is, I think, at least I think she said money raised locally stays locally. So, you know, you're not going to hear the sound of your money getting sucked up to New York. Or Los Angeles, or anywhere else, it's gonna stay local. Jen, thank you again for coming on the podcast.
1: Dolph, this was such a great conversation. I I know I use my hands a lot. I'm sorry if I bumped anything, but I'm Italian. (laughs) (laughs) I get
0: it. I get it. Trust me. As as I may have mentioned to you, especially when I was a young child, my grandmother would always look at me whenever I was being stubborn and she'd say, testadura, hard headed. (laughs) And she'd often tap her head when she would do it too, just to drive home that point. All right, friends. Again, let me just repeat that URL one more time, GenevievePetoro.com. And also, if this was a conversation that was meaningful for you, if it helped you figure out how to move beyond the startup phase, how to get unstuck, or how to actually be able to envision a world where in three years you will feel like you and your organization are sustainable, then there's two other episodes I think you should consider. One is episode 156 with Dr. Chantel Shambles. And that is fundraising for sustainability. It's one of the things that Jen talked about. If you're going to be sustainable, you have to figure out how you bring in donors in a meaningful way and a way that, as she also talked about, helps everybody feel good and feel better about the work they're doing, even during tough times. Also, check out episode 217 Time to Change the Way You Fundraise and Raise More Money with Jack Silverstein. You heard Jen talk about some ways that she changed her fundraising approach where she stopped being quite as shy and she started really going out and getting those gifts. And Jack's going to talk about that in episode 217. Well, friends, we're coming toward the end of the episode. I always ask, please do me a personal favor. I'm not afraid to ask either. I used to be a fundraiser. Um, Please do me a personal favor and rate and review the podcast. I bet you are listening to this podcast on your phone. And the reason I bet that is because you can't play podcast on rocks. So I bet that you're listening to the podcast on your phone. Pick up your phone, open it up, rate and review the podcast right now. And if you especially like the podcast, do me a double favor and write a review. I do somersaults when we get reviews. And you know, I'm if we get a couple reviews from this episode, I might actually post a video of me doing a very, very 52-year-old me doing a very, very clumsy somersault. Okay, my friends, that is our episode for today. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. All right, friends, I never really want to do this, but the lawyers make me do it. You know, they always make me tell you that I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, which seems pretty obvious. You'd think that I would have said somewhere in the episode if I was. But that means that I don't provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. It also means that neither the podcast nor the consulting practice do that. This podcast, guess what? I say it every week. It's for information, informational purposes. Whose? Yours. That's right. Your informational purposes. So please, do not rely on this podcast for tax legal or accounting advice because that's not what we're doing. If that's what you need, find a licensed, qualified professional in your area. If you are not sure who to reach out to, Consider talking to your local bar association or your local CPA association. If you still are not sure who to reach out to, you could, you could reach out to me and I'd be happy to help connect you with somebody if I know someone in your area.